you know, so much potential. That it's just, and you know, you have to just to take baby steps. You know, I know, for example, in Singapore, you know, the army is such a big deal and takes so much pride. And when I was there, they were telling me about Sergio, you don't understand. And I said, yeah, Sergio understands because I grew up in a dictatorship that I had to go to the army for two years. And I was bound to go to the army until I was 28 years old. And I kind of like cheated my way out of it because when my wife moved to Spain, you know, uh, she didn't have a job, official job. So I was the only person bringing, winning, making the bread in the, in the family. So they allowed me to stay home. But if not, I would have had to go to the army for two years. And, he, and I understand because a lot of my friends, one of my friends was in the army and the first mother was in the army, went to help, the army went to help in a forest with this big fire and lost his, both of his legs, 18 years old. Yeah. You know, so I understand everything that the army has and doesn't have and the politics of it. The only problem is that everybody in Singapore was afraid to say anything. Just... You don't have to change things. You just have to talk about how can you can you make things better, you know. But um, but I think all of you guys have so much potential. I'm gonna ask a question to Danny. Hey, Danny, you. Yes. Hey, yeah. you're you're a young coach. How, how long have you yeah. been coaching? For a year. Uh, yeah, about a year. So, how is your experience now as a coach? Uh, experiences in. How has it been? I see, things, I yeah. see things very differently now from how I was when I was a swimmer. And I think I kind of start to understand a bit more on why certain things are being done. Yeah. But uh, actually, I was going to... I actually wanted to ask you a question with, with regard to your like observation on the entitled versus privileged kind of thing just now. Uh-huh. Okay, so I mean, like, how do you shift the mindset of a swimmer who is uh, kind of entitled to one whereby he says that oh my god it's a it's a priv- uh, it's an honor to actually represent because i actually was the coach on the on the team that went to the world uni games okay and then i had swimmers who were there and then they were like oh my god this is like a uh not so important trip and then we're just going to come here to like kind of enjoy the experience rather than performance and then they're like oh uh, I'm uh, entitled to be here because you know I made the uh, the cut, I made the times, and like whatever I do here is all up to me. I think the problem that you guys have in Singapore it starts with the way the scholarships, you know, all those scholarships that you guys have, they just keep giving them to you since you're 12 years old. You know, uh, I don't. Uh, what's the scholarship that you get from the government? I don't remember the Spec. name. Yeah, the spec scholarships. And you have. You know, I remember when I was there, you had over 600 athletes, not just swimmers, on a spec scholarship that those 600 athletes were not practicing the sport anymore. They just took the, the privileges of the spec scholar and then a month before, two months before, whatever meet they had to go, they start training, they qualify because there's nobody better and then they keep getting the a spec scholar for the next, you know, and things like that. And that's a joke. And that's, I think the hardest part is it's not try to change the, the older people. You have to try to change. You, 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 you're in a club. You have to make that culture from the bottom with the young kids. The older ones, you know, in four or five years, these young kids are going to be like pushing the older ones. You know, in the past, the older ones were pushing the younger ones out. Probably. But if you're smart, you can create a culture where, hey, you work hard, you deserve this. Did it is, did it is. Not just because you're fast. And, you know, like, for example, you have to treat people in the team not because they're fast the same way. You know, you can ask Joseph how many times I kick him out of practice or how many times I put him on the bleachers to do homework because I got a call from the teachers. I didn't care that he was that fast. You know, his father asked me one thing very clearly. Make sure that he's a gentleman. And make sure that you treat him the way you want to educate your kids in terms of school, this and this and this. So if my son didn't do this and I find out because he was playing too many video games, I take the video games away or I punish him with something until he understands that you can do everything, but you have a responsibility. Make sense? You don't take things for granted. And I think the, be- the best thing is for me, with the national team, I think I had more influence in the younger kids by 
trying to change their mindset than the older ones because the younger kids are more flexible that their their brain they're not still like so spoiled you know but you take you take you guys like you take i don't want to name names but i had five or six people in the team that the only thing they think they thought they were great kids but the only thing they thought is that i deserve this and i deserve that and i deserve this and i deserve that and it's like well you don't deserve it you've been swimming like shit you cannot say that you have to be nice and da 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 and blah 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 you know, so you need to start creating a culture from the bottom up. You know, and you have that opportunity. You know, the club, your club is very young. You know, you can set those standards where, you know, you don't you don't allow people to take things for granted. You know, kick them out of practice. You lose. You know, that's something that you need to talk with your bosses or whatever. But you know, to me, if I had a problem with somebody, I, I kick them out. I go, and if, if there's somebody with a lot of money and it's a big issue, I go to my superintendent or the, the headmaster of the school and I sit down with that person and I make sure that I just, and I make a case out of it and I push that kid out because it's not important. You know, you might lose a fast kid, but in three years you might have so many more, more faster swimmers. So, and, you know, sometimes I think, when you create that culture with the little kids, the younger ones, it filters out to the older ones, you know, because when you start paying more attention to kids that deserve that attention, because they work hard, they're good people, they're good teammates, the other ones, if you don't give them that much attention, they're going to feel like, well, hey, coach, why you care about this guy? He's a minute in the 100 freestyle and I'm a 52 hundred freestyle. I deserve that. So, no, you don't deserve anything. You're an asshole. You know, like, so you have to work that way. Yeah. And it's a process. And don't, you don't try to change everything outside of, you, of your environment. You, but you have a world in your micro, cycle, micro world that you have, that club, uh, you, can, you can create a tradition. You can create, you, you can set up certain things that make a difference. And before you know it, those things that people are going to see them on the pool deck when the kids warm up and the parents are going to see that and they will want their kids to be part of that. So. Is that you? Yes, sir. Hey, uh, I got a question. More, yeah, a question, I guess. It's um, what would you, uh, I mean, could you share with us some of your stories where you actually felt that you you failed at a certain uh, particular moment and you know do you have any stories where you, you thought you kind of like hit rock bottom and you you, you you persisted and overcame yeah like like for example um, the 1992 Olympic Games you know, in 1988 I was a bronze medalist and it was the first medal in the 88 Olympics to be won by any sports and, you know so it was a big deal nobody expected me to win a medal and in those Olympic Games, we only had four medals uh, in the whole Olympic Games. Uh, so it was a very big deal. So the next Olympic Games in 1992 were in Barcelona, you know, in my hometown. So it's the pool that I trained, even though they rebuilt certain things, but I trained there for seven or eight years, you know, and it's like that pool was built in 1972. And uh, in Barcelona, in Spain, everybody knew me. So I had a lot of pressure. Now, during those four years after the 80 year Olympics, I was training with Mike Berman. That he was, the, he broke the world record in three and a half years, six times in the 200 breaststroke. And many times, more, more times than others, I beat him in practice every day. Even the time that I was lucky to break the world record in 1990, the world record was 212.9, I think, or 212, whatever. And I went 212.2, but I got beat by Mike. He went 211.9, I think. And so at the Olympic Games, I was training so well. And I was, I think I was in control of everything. I, I was in the right place until the day before. Because Mike and I, we always play a lot of games, mind games between one another. And I got thrown off for something. And at the Olympics, I got fourth. And I swam slower than I did two years prior to that. And my teammate that I beat 
consistently, most of the time, one broke the world record, and I got fourth in my hometown. And you may say, "Well, Sergio, fourth place is is a very good place in the Olympics." And I can tell you right now that I will have given an arm and a leg to be fourth in the Olympics. But when you touch the wall in Barcelona, and you have I don't know ten thousand, twelve thousand people, whatever it was screaming and this with signs of you and out of the blue people are like what the heck happened you know um i got fourth my teammate wins breaks the world record he beats me by three seconds three seconds so i remember i was going to stop swimming in 1992 that was it i told my wife and i told my mom this is my last meet I was going to retire, and when I touched the wall, I the first thought that I remember was like I cannot stop swimming. I don't know why. So I went up to my wife and I went out to my mom and I told them, "Don't ask me how long, don't ask me why, but I need to keep swimming." Now, from the pool to the uh, to to come out to it was a very short distance. Let's say uh, I don't know less than half a kilometer not even that but it took me 45 minutes to be able to get free from people uh, because and everybody was telling me in a very nice way uh, because many of them were my friends what the f happened to you how come you didn't win a medal you, di you didn't look that good wow you're so much slower than your best time and this was just a pam 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 for 45 minutes at least and, and uh, when something like this is happening, time really goes very slow. And, you know, you, you don't want to be rude to people and you're over there. You want to cry. You want to shoot somebody. So finally, I got free from that. And I, instead of going to the Olympic Village, I told the, the coaches that I was done. I was going to go to my house. I couldn't deal with that. So now when all this was over, I kept swimming for four more years. And those four years were the worst years of my life, swimming-wise. Uh, I trained very hard. Right before the World Championships, I got a kidney stone. Uh, right before something else, I had a heart problem. Even though without shaving and tapering, you know, in, in 1990, I think 1994, I think it was, I was top 15 in the world in the 200 fly without shaving and tapering. I broke the national record in the 200, in the 200 uh, IM, 400 IM, without being shaved and tapered. And, but every time that I went to swim the 200 breaststroke, my event, something will happen. And it was very hard because world championships, European championships, any big competition. And then uh, right before the 96 Olympics that I was already qualified, uh, I had uh, my first injury that I had in my life. Uh, I was training in Budapest, uh, and my 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 knee got locked, and they didn't know what it was, and you know I had to move it like that to shake to in order to get it unlocked. And I went to the doctors; they did arthroscopy, and they realized that I had no meniscus. That if I kept swimming, I had bone to bone. So I've been bone to bone for 25 years or more, and they they told me if you keep swimming at this level training, by the time you're 40 or 50, you will have a lot of hard time walking, you know, so you need to be careful. So I was already qualified for the other Olympics, for the 96 Olympics. I decided that I would try to train for the 200 fly and the 200 freestyle uh, because I was top 15 in the world the year before. And I won my trials in, I think, the 200 fly or the 200 freestyle. And my country decided that since I was in a good breaststroker, that they wouldn't take me to the Olympics, even though they should have. So my career was over with them. Now, through the process, one of the things, the reason why I stayed four more years, and I'm so thankful of that, is because I always wanted to be a coach. And if I retire in, 92, in the 92 Olympics and I, I don't go through all these, I will have been a, a very bitter person. I would have been a person 
that if I wanted to be a coach, I would have pushed my kids and da 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 and you can and blah 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 because I I wouldn't have had the time with all the failures that happened for four years to get back to the reason why I started swimming when I was very little. Because when I was very little, I was very bad. And my mom told me one time that, you know, Sergi, I don't understand why you train so hard. You go to a competition, you swim bad, you cry for five minutes, but the next day you're training hard because I wanted to be excellent. And, uh, and the fa- those four years brought me back to when I was a kid and made me appreciate what I call now the moment in time. And that moment in time is for everybody. Either you fail, to, you don't reach your goal, or you, you, you know. When I was 12 years old, you tell me, Sergio, what would you give me if you were fourth in the 92 Olympics in your hometown? I would have given you, after the Olympics, one leg, two legs, one, one hand, two hands, whatever you wanted. And now I'm fourth, and I think it's the end of the world. You know, so for me, was like a, a, a process of understanding who I was, why I do this, and the purpose that I can have with swimming. Because swimming for me is, yeah, I can make good money, support my family. I can have some fame, you know, fits my ego. But I think the most important thing is that allows me to, anybody that crosses path with me, if I can, I can make them understand that moment in time. So that would be, and I had six years between 1990 and 1996, didn't improve my time one-tenth of a second in the Dona Breaststroke. That was the event that I always trained for. Six years. So. Hey, thanks so much for sharing. I think cool. um, a, lot of, a lot of times we find some sort of silver lining or some sort of, you know, you, you, opportunities come up when you, when, when you tend to fail. And uh, yeah, that, that was a very good story. Thanks. Thanks, Petra. Uh, Arif. Arif. Uh, uh, yeah. Hi. Hi. So yeah, I'm uh, coaching for the high school swimmer for international school. So this is uh, my problem because like mostly freshmen and sophomore, they swim all year long. And then junior and senior, they only swim like for the seasons, which is only like 14 to 16 weeks. Because like, how do you work out to catch up between like all, all year long swimmers and then just like for the seasonal for 14, 15 weeks? Well, uh, I think we, we have a lot of that, you know, uh, in, in America, you know, and it's very hard. Even with the college athletes, for example, with my athletes, um, we have a lot of... I'm only allowed to coach legally 144 days a year, you know? So that's, that's not that much. That's what, uh, 30, that's five months. Uh, the rest, they can do whatever they want. I cannot force them. So the, the only thing that I can do, because I mean, a lot of them in college, they're, they're going to go and get an internship. They're going to go and do something. So it's like to create some sort of culture to understand then maybe next year you won't have the opportunity if you don't do some sort of maintenance or some sort of things. Go and get your internship. Go and go home if you need to help your parents. Do whatever you need to do, but maybe find find 30 minutes a day, one hour a day of doing something that can help you be ready when you come back. You know, many times for me, nowadays I understand more that it's not necessary for these kids to be so like, pa, 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 you know, as long as they're doing that, something consistent. If you have to go to an internship, you know, like this past year, we had a girl that went down, down to Florida for an internship and she was trying to exercise, but she was also wearing heels and these and she had all these events and she hurt her knees very bad and, but she was very consistent and she's become one of our MVP swimmers this year. You know, she overcome like for three months, she had to do rehab and this and that and blah, blah, blah. She trained whatever she could. And then the next two months, surprisingly, she was in the water and boom, she's one of our best breaststokers that we had. She's a senior, you know. So I think you have to find a way of educating your kids. That, okay, you're not going to do this. Can you maybe do three times a week something, you know? 
and have a program where they do exercises or biking or boxing, whatever it is that they, you know, you can find in your environment, it can be good for them. You know? And when they come back, they feel, hey, you know, our coach understands because wh- what do you coach? Do you coach in Singapore? No, Indonesia, Jakarta. Okay. Because I know in, in, in Singapore, for example, what I, I figure, what I saw is that the older they get in high school, the more the exams, the all exams and all those levels, they become so complicated. And the parents are so obsessed that, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that, and more lessons and more lessons and more tutoring and more tutoring that the poor kids don't have time for swimming. You know, when I was in Singapore my first year, in April, you know, I think 13, 13 or 14 of my swimmers didn't show up to practice. And I didn't understand that. One of them, this is the National Training Center. One of them uh, told me something about it. Hey, you know, I have exams, you know, so I'm not going to show up for the whole month of, of April or March or April. I don't remember. It was one of those months. And I was like, huh? I talked with Gary and Gary said, yeah, yeah, they have to study. It's so hard, the exams that the parents want them to study all the time that they never, normally they don't train much or they don't train. So they do that. I let them do it because whatever, I'm going to teach them by example, hopefully. And they come back. Then one of the girls, the, the mom, she trains for one week when the exams were over, maybe not the whole week, but you know, she starts coming. And the week later, the mom calls me and says, hey, we're going to go on family vacation. And I lost it. I lost it with the mom because I lost it. It's like, hey, you got to be kidding me. Well, this is a family vacation and da-da-da, and I don't care about a family vacation. So you can do whatever you want. You take your family vacation. But if next year your daughter is one of the best in the country, doesn't get the scholarship, do you understand why? Because... She's missed already four or five weeks. She's going to Junior Worlds. She's going to the Sea Game, no, the Sea the Sea Games. She's go, she's doing all this, and you haven't taught your daughter, even though she has to miss for four weeks, for example, to come and talk to your coach and say, Coach, look, in the past, I don't go to practice when I have these exams because I have to study so much. But since I'm in the national team and I'm going to go to Junior Worlds and I'm going to do this. Can we set up some sort of, of schedule? You know, can I come once a week? Can I do something? Can you be flexible with this or with that? And then you're teaching your 15-year-old kid how to take ownership of their thing instead of like, well, don't go. Don't go to practice. And then we're going to go on vacation. And then you're going to go to the world championships. Yuha, that's a joke. So, but you have to educate the kids and the parents. You know, for me, like I said, I had I had to learn how the process works. So the first five six months or more, I had to make sure that I understand how people think. Instead of reacting, I have to absorb things, and then try to teach them. You know, and after afterwards, the following year, all these kids asked me, "Hey, coach," because I I told them later on. I sat down with all of them and I told them, "If you come up to me, the most important thing is study, but you have to have a schedule." You tell me that you're going to study 24 hours a day? No. I don't care how difficult it is. You know, my daughter is a student at Princeton. You know, and she doesn't study 24 hours a day. And she's a swimmer. So, like, what you got to do is come up to me and set a schedule. Even if it's only once a week or twice a week and you only practice 30 minutes or an hour. If you have a schedule and you're consistent and you stick to that schedule, you're learning certain things. And that's that's part of the the culture that you have to create. You know, I don't know if I make sense, but yeah. To <clears throat> to further add on that, I think that's one of the main problems that I I notice with because uh, I I coach in Malaysia, and that's one of the the main things that I see with with Malaysian swimmers is they don't have that mindfulness and that responsibility over themselves. It's always the parents that's taking care of them and you know, handling all that responsibility. And once they grow up to have, you know, to, to, as an adult to have their own responsibilities, they tend to make that bad choice, you know, uh, and, and, you know, experience things that, you know, they should have probably early on. But, but I also think 
I think education is, is, is very important and it's something that we have to teach our kids that they have to do. But, you know, a lot of these kids, they go through so many hard courses and so many hard, uh, universities, they end up doing jobs that are totally opposite of what they graduated from. You know, and I know my daughter, for example, was in a Princeton at that time, but that was one of the, she always wanted to study in an Ivy League or a school like that. And, and I remember, I remember having a meeting with the young parents of the team and telling them that, you know, it's, it's kind of sad that you're forcing your kids to be excellent so much in school and school and school and school and school and school, and you force them to do so many other things when they have a talent in swimming. You can do both at the same time. You say, oh, no, 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 no. But yes, you can do both at the same time. The problem that you have in your country, in a country like Singapore, is that your country is not going to let you be excellent, no matter how you whatever degree you graduate with. They're not going to let everybody be excellent. Why are you always hiring 1.5 million expats, people like me, they have a low level of education, to try to teach people like you? That's a contradiction. Yeah. It is a freaking contradiction. And that's because the government doesn't want their own people doing their, the jobs that they can, they can bring other people that they're going to be here for two, three, four years and go somewhere else. You know? And they, they, I'm not saying that you cannot strive to be excellent. Lucky enough, my daughter, that was swimming, that was doing other things, well, got, uh, got into Princeton the only school that she applied. And I told them too, I told the parents, I said, look, my history with, before I came here, out of the 210 swimmers that I had going to college, 40 of them went into Yale, Princeton, Stanford, all these schools. So it's feasible. You know, you just have to not be afraid of the social pressure and allow your kids to be excellent. You tell me that a kid is studying all day long and then you're walking through the mall and you see them at, at Starbucks studying with their friends. Come on. So you have, to, you have to try to teach them, you know, little things slowly, you know. But anything else, guys? Uh, Sergio, in your previous talk, you mentioned, I mean, th this is kind of more towards the uh, sets. Uh, you did mention something about a 150-meter set that you did where you can kind of gauge the speed. Can yeah. you elaborating more on that? Yeah, I have. Let me see if I find. I have a chart that I developed with a friend of mine. Um, and uh, 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 let, me, let me see. Mm. Um, oh, look, I have here, I just saw uh, Zhang Wen, Kwa Zhang Wen. I have the, his chart here. I'll show it to you. Uh, where is this? Uh, share my screen. I'm getting better at this. Huh? Uh, can you guys see this? Can you guys see it? Yes? Yeah. Uh, uh, like this chart is, um, is a test of 150, right? And uh, like for example here, uh, you know, in, in, this, in, the, in, this, in this chart you have uh, the, four, the four strokes, but I'm gonna show you uh, Quas Butterfly. Right? Now, if you look at here, closer, you know, where my mouse is going, my hand, it says 89.55. The total time swam in seconds. Can you guys see that? Uh, that's, that's the 150 test that we did. All right? well, this is very simple. You do 150 fast, right? and then you, you put that time there. So this was 150 fa fast in, in practice, fly. He went 129.55. So, you know, that's, that's 89.55 seconds. Right? So you plug in that, and then it gives you all the, all the speeds for the, all, the, all the 50s, 100s, 150s, and 200s 
to so you can develop sets. Make sense? And that's how I develop sets with my swimmers. Like for example, we had this set of 16200s, three freestyle, one main stroke. You know, and when we started it, you know, uh, what I did is like we tried to with the younger guys, with Joseph when he was young, we, we start with uh, the column here, the 200s on the aerobic one, you know? This, you know, so we'll, we'll go, the first, the first three 200s freestyle, steady, I don't remember the interval, I think it was three minutes in long course, and we take one minute rest, and then we do a 200 with the average of the aerobic one times, so here's 237 and 229, so that would be 36, that two, uh, 230, 233 something. That would be the fourth one. Make sense? Then we go to the next four. So you go three freestyle with low heart rate, 130, 140. And then the, the fourth one, the eighth one, you go the average of 227, 220. And that would be uh, 223. Make sense? And then the same thing with this, the same thing with this. And as you get better, you keep progressing. You know, I, I, by the time Joseph was 16 or 17, when also you had Ryan Murphy, and we did four aerobic three average, uh, the fourth one aerobic three average, the eighth one uh, VO2 max average, and the 12th one anaerobic one average, and the um, 16th one at this from the push. They, they could go 201, 202 on the 60th one. Make sense? So you can learn how to progress with this chart. You can make up sets. And it's something that I plastify, I laminated. You know, like uh, Danny used to have that. You know, we laminate it and we give it to the kids. And then I, I can make up sets and progressions of how to build sets 30, 50s, 100s, 200s. So this is an Excel sheet, for example. Let me open an Excel sheet. And I can send it to you guys, if you want. Um, let's see. Uh, ta -ta. Right. So for example, you see here it says uh, Peter Pan. You know, I like Peter Pan. Uh, 131.1, but let's say that I put uh, quas time, 89.55. So you'll see how all the times will change. You know, 89.50, uh, hold on, 0.55. Watch the times on the left side, they change. Make sense? So you have all the speeds for everything. This chart is based more on the aerobic, an aerobic work than aerobic work. You know, you have the 3,000 set. You have different sets that are more based on the aerobic work. But this one, it, it was designed more to train on the anaerobic side. Um, how I came out with this, I bought uh, two lactate machines. Uh, and I, I did, for one year, I did different testing with a group of 10 swimmers. And some of them were very good and uh, very different you know you have somebody like uh joseph schooling they could do the same set that ryan murphy and ryan murphy could accumulate 15 of lactate and joseph schooling six or seven you know but my friend gustavo calado they helped me out with this he always wanted to be a doctor so he's the scientific type of guy so after after a while with all the data we have i asked him if hey, help me out to make a some sort of chart that we can utilize because I've been doing this 150 set and this and that, and then he came out with this. Any questions about this? Nope. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So any other questions, guys? Nope. So, Jai, I have uh, more questions. Um, 
uh, you, uh, at Bowles you had some some tremendous swimmers, uh, Joseph, Ryan, um, uh, but uh, and uh, you and I've already spoken a little bit on the Instagram. Uh, I know you, you work with uh, one of my ex swimmers, Lulu, and uh, also with uh, Joshua Booth, who who I worked with a little bit in uh, in. Uh, England um, on the national talent camps, but um, my question, uh, I don't know if there's an answer. Uh, I had a similar discussion with uh, Coach Stefan in, in Singapore over here uh, about a year ago. Uh, my question, when do you know? You, you, see, uh, you see a young Joseph or a young Caleb or whatever. Uh, is, is there something that uh, a light goes off in your head that you think, uh, this one can go all the way, um, or cannot. Um, so th that's the first part of my question. Uh, I, I guess that talent identification is there. Is there something different about these specific uh, people well, uh, compared I, to the rest of the group? I think so, but you know, I can tell you that in the seven and a half years that I was there, I had people that were equally as talented. Some of these guys but they didn't have the desire to, to do anything. And that's, that's a big part, you know? Uh, you know, uh, I remember watching Joseph when he first came and, you know, you know he, when his son entered the water, if you can see my hand, like his fingers will go like this and then catch the water. And I watch him at the beginning many times and I'm thinking, what the heck is this kid doing instead of catching the water right away? And then you realize that he was just feeling the water and catching it whenever it was good for him. And that's, that's something special. You watch Caleb Dressel just do what he does and, and underwater and the way he's moving. And, you know, it, you cannot teach certain things. But we had many of those guys. And not many, I want to say. We had kids with so much talent. They could have been international and could have swum very well. But they didn't care. You know? So I think we were lucky. And I know with Jason Kalanok and the other coaches that I had, you know, at one point when they were growing up, I said, hey, we might have four guys in this group that can be Olympic champions or winning an Olympic medal in, 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 in the same year. And, you know, you had Joseph Schooling, Ryan Murphy, Caleb Dressel, and Santo Condorelli. They got fourth. You know, that if he had 10 more yards, 10 more meters, you know, maybe he gets another medal. Yeah. So we were lucky with that. So you have to be lucky. But also, also you have to watch and see and, and, and foster a culture of excellence, you know, not pushing that culture. Uh, you know, many times you're better off with the kids that they don't want to do it. You wash your hands and send them somewhere else. Thanks, Coach. Um, and uh, building on that, um, especially, uh, it's my experience that um, like this age group, uh, 11, 11 to 13 year old girls, um, almost uh, like, like they flirt with you. You, you see something special. Um, young girls, uh, maybe we speak about early maturers, I don't know. But um, uh, they're they're progressing fantastically, and then and then there's the the question that comes: um, uh, if I have something special here, um, do do I do I just keep doing what I what I do, or do I get excited and, and push harder, or do I I back off a little bit? Um, I, th my, my I think the question is not about what you want. It's a question about is about what they're willing to do. You know. Because I think it, what's important is, is slowly when you identify those kids, sitting down with their parents, sitting down with the kids, trying to understand why they swim, why they do these things, and slowly plant the seed. You know, we have a tendency of going ahead of them. And, and sometimes that backfire. You know, well, how many times we had a swimmer that you keep telling them, you can be a national champion, you can be national champion, you can be national champion. And they keep starting to do this because... They don't want to disappoint you. But they honestly don't care about being national champion. And the first time they, something goes wrong, eh, the third time that something goes wrong, they're going to come up to you and say, Sergio, 
you keep telling me I was going to be a national champion. I don't care about being a national champion. I think I'm going to quit because I don't like this anymore. Make sense? So you need to figure it out how to slowly put that seed on people and be patient. You know, if you look at the age of the kids nowadays, that they're successful from any country. Every once in a while, you have a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old. But right now, you're having 25, 26, 25, 27, 30-year-old women consistently winning and consistently being there. So be patient, set a plan, try to mold the kids and put the seed, plant the seed so they can, they can keep growing at a good speed instead of like, you can do this because I believe and I, I have such a good eye and da-da-da-da and blah-blah-blah. And then it's going to blow up in your face most, more times than, than not. So um, uh, then building on from that, um, essentially, what is it at the, at the American university level, the, the D1 level that, that you're looking for? Like if we're working predominantly with the age groupers. Um, who are looking to use the swimming as a means towards uh, a further education at an American university, then, then, then what are the college recruiters, uh, you or Eddie Reese or uh, Dave Saylor, or Dave Saylor's retiring, but uh, what is it that you're looking for, like uh, technical prowess or uh, 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 good speed at a young age or... Um, uh, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll answer fire? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Look, first thing, in the men's team, I have 9.9 .9 scholarships for four years. Right? So I don't have that much money. And I have 32 athletes. So think about that. And that's the maximum that a team can have, 9.9. .9. In the women's, you can have 14. But in the women's also, I have 40, 41 girls, 42 girls. So it's a bigger team. Now think about 9.9 .9 scholarships in four years. So the first thing that I'm looking for is can people pay for their education? Do you think that I had people, I had one girl in 2008 that she was finalist. No, the, the, she was at the Olympics. And then later on, the next Olympics, she was a finalist in the Olympics. And she qualified for the Olympics when she was 17. Pretty, very good soon. She got a 50% scholarship from a university. 50, five zero. Three, four years later or five years later, no, four years later, another girl from my team that wasn't that good, not as good as this one, from the same university got a full scholarship. So it all depends sometimes how much money you have, what do you need, what you don't need. You know, uh, I have one of my swimmers that was a medalist last year at Junior Worlds. Medalist. He came in here, 3% scholarship. 3%. You know? So... First thing you look is financially, can they afford it? I mean, a lot of the kids, foreign kids, think that going to America, I'm going to get a scholarship. You go to one of the top schools in the country, one of the 30 best schools in the country, you have to be extremely fast to get a full scholarship. So that's one thing. The other thing you think, you look for recommendations from people, you watch videos. I have a tendency of going to watch people. You know, I've gone to many different countries, sat down at practice. Uh, talk with the coaches, talk with the parents, and try to understand if that's the thought process that you want in your team. And, and then, you know, also, you, you, since you're limited on the number of spots that you, you can have in the team because you don't want to have every year 20 kids coming in uh, because of the budget and this and that, uh, you have to prioritize. You know? But, for example, this past year, I got a kid... Uh, you know, we, we used to have this kid, um, what's his, what's his name, uh, Paco, we call him Paco, Danny, what was his name, the backstroker, uh, Francis, 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 yeah, we used to have Francis, there was, a, I think he's an amazing swimmer, but you watch him swim, and you would thought, this guy is not a swimmer, like, he was like all over the place, and this and that, but at the age of 15, he was already 55 longers on the back. Uh, so I had a kid like this, this from the from a small town up in the in the woods, here. That I couldn't give him any money, but I, I watch him practice, and it's like you can see something in this kid. So we convinced him to come here, and this year, he's beat kids. They had 
huge scholarships from other schools. He won, he, he won a 142-200 backstroke in yards as a freshman, as a 17-year-old kid. 17, 18. That's a 154 in meters, short course meters. A kid that looked like Francis, uh, Francis, I call him Paco, like swimming, but you know, you look for that talent. Somebody can feel something. Then I had another guy that he's uh, close to two meters tall that he sent me a video. And when I, he sent me a profile and I look at his times and like, ah, I don't want to, I cannot tell with this kid because he's not very fast. But he had a video attached. So I look at his video and just with the star, I picked up the phone. I called the kid and I told him, hey, if you want to, if you want to spot in the team, I give it to you. And he came in the team and he's, he's improved a lot this year. He's already gone 56 long course on the backstroke uh, for a guy that has no clue about what he does. But he can understand the weather pretty well. And in the next three years, he might be 53 something in the 100 back in long course and 158 or 157 at the 100 back. For America, that doesn't do anything, but it's pretty fast. So you look for talent, you look for fast times. But you also look for the finances, who can pay. Now, when Eddie Rich calls you, people are willing to pay. When, when other coaches like me call you, not that many people are willing to pay. So that's, that's, a, it, that's a combination of all that. Now, with the women's, you have more money. You know, I, I have two recruiting coordinators one for the women, one for the men, and they spend most of the time doing, besides coaching, doing research, watching videos. And then the, the, five of coach, the five of us and the coaching staff, we go to different meets. We sit in the stands for hours just watching kids, taking notes. You know, so you try to, to find talent. And all the coaches, most of the top coaches in, 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 in the country do that. Anything else, guys? Um, last question, and then I think I, I have to go. <laughs> um, how, how would you say is the communication between the top coaches in the U.S.? Like the Eddie Reese's, the David Marshes, you? I, like, I've been very lucky that a lot of these coaches know me since I was a swimmer. And they have pretty good respect for me for whatever reason. So I've always been had a very good relationship, you know. There's coaches I don't get along with Dave Sello, uh, but I, I'm respectful to him, and he's respectful to me. But but uh, I think a lot of the coaches they're supportive of one another. I think the impressive thing is that when they get together in the national team, they leave everything behind. You know, there's a lot of negative recruiting, you know. So you can have people that you think that you're friends, but if they want to get a good swimmer, they're gonna like. To the kid about something because you know so that's that's kind of like not good but i think there's a good relationship between coaches i think you know uh when things when you do something good most of the coaches genuinely recognize that and and they will they will congratulate you so that's that's also a good thing Mark, you're there hiding. Mark Che. Hey. Hey, Sergio. How's everything, man? Hey, Living the beast every, uh, every Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how are you, man? Good, good. I'm um, sorry I was late today. I just had a call with Sports SG. Then I, I just came in after that. That's okay. Uh -huh. uh, how, how, how are things going for you? Things are going okay. Um, trying to see how we can do business now. <laughs> As you can imagine, uh, we're all impacted and then we're seeing how the enterprises here can, can come together to, um, to do something uh, meaningful uh, sure. and still keep their staff hired. I think that's important. Yeah, that's the hard part. You guys yeah. know how, how much longer you're going to be in lockdown? Or? Until the first week of May, uh, but who knows, it may be extended. Yeah. Like yeah. we're on lockdown until June fifteenth or June thirtieth. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we have a long time. 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a long time. I think a lot of the smaller sports schools um, they may not be able to sustain their business until until June July. Yeah, no. For us, for us, our university, we had a meeting yesterday, no Monday, and they're cutting budgets and they're cutting things because the seasons like the the NCA basketball season couldn't happen, mm. and there's a lot of money not coming in. So uh, the University sports, the Olympic sports are going to suffer a lot. That's going oh, to be yeah. a big problem. So, so we'll see what what's going to happen. There's already been a couple of universities cutting teams, like not not swimming teams yet, but yeah, like soccer teams or other teams. So I don't know. wrestling or gymnastics. Yeah, no, yeah. it's going, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they can play football in in the fall, I think that would that would save some. They would yeah. save some mm-hmm. teams. Yeah, I hope they can play football for me and it doesn't matter if we need to give up things we'll give up things so football can play because yeah. it's what sustains everybody yeah yeah yeah. Agreed. I think it'll be quite interesting to see how the TV rights are being negotiated now now that there's uncertainty on the schedules yeah we'll see we'll see but, but well, wish you the best of luck man thanks man guys anybody else or is no Uh, so hey, please what we can do is like send me something that you somebody you know for the Spanish talk I have two people two random people one is a teacher who's going to present something about how they do things in their school and one is uh, um, is it teaches at a swim school and he's going to talk about how to how to really fix the breaststroke kick and how to do different things you know and they're talking about people that have no experience at the high level. And I'm very excited because I'm going to learn some other things, you know, and I'm going to be listening. So if you, any one of you has anything that you want to present or you want to let me know, Come on, don't be shy. Huh? Got it. And I sent the, the link for the talks. I think I put this 14 different audio to, uh, talks from the, the last few weeks and you might want to listen a little bit to the American talk because maybe other coaches gave other talks. Uh, they gave other, um, they asked different questions. You might, might be able to catch something. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much guys. And I'll, I'll, you know, we'll have another one next week. And I'll send you the stuff. Please email me and tell me what you want to talk about. Not that I should talk about it. I will be more than happy to talk about things, but it's not about Sergio talking about this. It's about somebody sharing it. And maybe I can elaborate and somebody else can elaborate. Got it? Awesome. Have a a good day. Thank you, Sergio. You're welcome, guys. Take it it easy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sergio. Bye-bye, guys. Hi, Danny. Thanks, Sergio. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Sergio. You're welcome. You're welcome.